Harry, I have no idea where this will lead us, but I have a definite feeling it will be a place both wonderful and strange. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mans. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We are Manson Mitchell, hoping your Saturday is going well, your weekend, generally speaking. We are here once again of a Saturday, working with tall guy Nathan Miller at the board, our producer. Nathan, how are you doing today? Good morning slash afternoon to you, Gary slash Suzanne. And it's great to be back with you after taking last week off. And looks like David did a nice job filling in and things are going well. He All did. Right. He did. We appreciated you having... Uh, David is our substitute in the studio. He did a fine job, as he always does. And we are happy to have you back. Oh, thank you. It's great to be back with you as well. And things are nice and good in Pacific Northwest, nice and bright and sunny, and just all around good Saturday morning. Okay, very good. Well, we're looking forward to this day, aren't we, Gary? It's been a while. Oh, yes. I mean, I'm rather embarrassed to say six years since we've had the opportunity to speak with Karen A. Dahlman. She is, well, she's a lot of, a lot of good things. She's a metaphysician, generally speaking. And in terms of the Ouija board and systems of divination, paranormal research, Karen has an awful lot to say, awful lot that she can say. It's up to us to come up with the good questions. It is. In the meantime, let us give her her brief but mad props, and we've got questions and she's got answers. Karen A. Dahlman, host of Creative Visions TV, is an author of Infinite Possibilities and a channel for Source Wisdom, capital S, Source. Having a lifelong connection with spirit beings, she teaches ways to commune with the afterlife, the higher self, spirit guides, and other sentient beings that exist among us within the unseen dimensions. Within her message, Karen shares the positive side to the Ouija board, which gets kind of a bad rap, I must say. And we'll we'll get into some of that as well as other things today. The Ouija board for Karen is a tool for exploring the expansive realms of consciousness. What is it with us in consciousness, Suzanne? We've been dealing with this a lot lately. It's a good topic, and well, Karen is a good person to discuss that with. Welcome absolutely. to Manson Mitchell, Karen Dahlman. Hey, guys. It's great to be back with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, just delighted. And I wish that our listeners, and they are listeners rather than viewers, I wish they could see behind you the array of Ouija boards that you have. Quite the collection. Yeah, I have quite a few boards. Um, I have 85. It's actually small in comparison to the numbers that my fellow collectors at the Talking Board Historical Society have. They have hundreds. (laughs) I have a mere 85, but um, I have a system in in my office where I have shelvings that go up and down six feet, 11 feet each way. And I can stack at least 35 boards behind me right now and around me. But I, but I switch them out, which is kind of fun. But yeah, I'm into collecting the, the beautiful artwork of them as well as the stories and history behind them, as well as how the Ouija board itself even changed. The, the kind of ways it, it looks and stuff. Do you prefer the pronunciation of Ouija, Ouija, or do you use them both interchangeably? 
Well, you'll hear me use it interchangeably. I prefer Ouija. That's traditionally the true way of stating it. Phonetically, on the back of some boxes, originally, um, early 1900s, they actually told you how to pronounce it. They said Ouija. Definitely was a Ouija. And so that's how it was meant to be pronounced. But because of our own vernacular and the psyche of humanity, we're saying Ouija. It's okay now. It's susceptible to say Ouija. So either way, we say it is okay. But you'll hear me saying Ouija more than Ouija. Do you know what the origination of that word is? One of your boards has some French on it that says mm-hmm. au revoir, meaning, you know, goodbye. But we is yes. And and I'm wondering, do you know the origin of the word Ouija? Sure do. Oh. So there's a story out there that Ouija is, is French and German for yes, yes. We is yes for in French and ja, German is yes in German. So Ouija, that's not true. (laughs) It's a wonderful tale. We've heard it ourselves for years. The reality is this, and we know this because we found actually articles written as well as letters to people that stated this from back in the early 1890s when they were first developing the Ouija board. And what it was is that they were sitting down at the board one day using it before they even had a name for it. When I say they, it was like Charles Kennard, uh, William, uh, not William Fuller, Charles Kennard, Elijah Bond, uh, Helen Peters. They were all founders of the board. And they said to the board of the spirits, whatever was there, they said, what should we call you? And it went and spelled out O-U-I-J-A. And they said, what does that mean? And it spelled out good luck. And so what happened was Miss Helen Peters was sitting there in the room with a locket on her neck and she took it and opened it up. And inside there was a picture of a woman. We're not sure who that woman was. And the words O-U-I-D-A or O-U-I-J-A or O-U-I-N-A. We're not sure what that other letter was because it could have been Ouija uh, or it could have been Oida. Now, Oida was a woman, a feminist writer at the turn of the century. So late 1800s to early 1900s, she was a famous feminist writer, went by the name Oida. And it wouldn't be unlike somebody who was very avant-garde, like Miss Helen Peters herself, as a businesswoman, to wear a locket of that woman's picture in there with the name Oida. However, we've because the, the board came out of the whole spiritualist movement, Miss Helen Peters actually were, married a man named Nosworthy. So Nosworthy's mother was very much a big follower of Cora Hatch. Cora Hatch is one of the most popular, famous spiritualist medium, trance medium back in the day. And it wouldn't be unlike them to have a picture of, of her in the in the pit in there with her spirit guide's name, Owena, which was a, a little Native American spirit guide of Cora Hatch. So we're not sure which one it is, but we have those two possibilities at this point. I love that story. I love the story, and I am relieved that it isn't spelled O-U-I-N-A because we'd start calling it a weenie board. (laughs) You're right. Not a weena, but a weenie. Good good one, Gary. I'll go with that. The universe is is very discreet that way. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. We think of you as our Ouija board gal. And you have <laughs> you have uh, enlightened us and our listeners in the past talking about it. Today, we wanted to talk about a lot of other um, divination tools. But I would say the Ouija board is your favorite, right? I mean, I have the two of you connected pretty inextricably. Do you use other methods yourself? 
I do use other methods. Um, I just love the board. I mean, I, my joke is that I came out of the womb with the board attached to me. I mean, the board and I go back, you know, it's going to be 50 years next year. 2023 is my 50th year using it since 1973. So we do have this long relationship. And that's why I collect the boards too. And this, by the way, is my, you, I know what you, your audience can't say, but this is my very first board right here. And I'm showing them, you guys that are listening, a 19 circa, circa 1972 board. I got from Santa Claus, December 25th. Having said that, I have explored, experimented with many different tools. Um, we could say the I Ching, the ruins, uh, dowsing rods, pendulums. I do readings with tarot and oracle cards. I have many decks. I, I collect, I think I have about 25 decks of those. I do collect those as well. I use scrying, black mirror scrying, which I learned from Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our friend. I also do crystal ball scrying. But one of my favorite things I'm doing now besides the Ouija board is direct channeling. When I do my spiritual readings, I'm allowing the guides who I work with through the board to come through directly where I feel them. I feel the energy and I get the words and I just say what I'm hearing from them. And so I'm doing a lot of just direct channeling now. I, I realize <clears throat> this is what I've realized over the years. All these items we're talking about are tools, right? It's not the tool that doesn't work. It's really yourself. So it's just another form of channeling, whether you want to use your theatrics to be cards, crystal balls, or black mirrors or ruins. Uh, my theatrics can be just be yourself <laughs> because you ultimately are the one that's doing the channeling. The board does nothing. And, you know, we've talked about this many times. I have a question. This is that's sort true. of an offshoot of this uh, early foray into divination and really bordering the spirit world in a way. It's like, you know, you're talking across the fence or in a way. I'm curious to know, and I have to say up front, no, I haven't. As I prepare to ask you, Karen, have you ever seen a ghost? Have you ever actually seen a ghost? The way people say, oh, my God, I saw a ghost. Well, yes, I have. Uh, that I would call a ghost. Um, I, and By the way, they come in different forms. And sometimes you just feel them or it's a cold air. But I've actually literally physically seen out here uh, apparitions. I'm not going to say apparition, apparitions. And I've also seen, here we go, da, da, da. Ultra, ult, ultra dimensional beings. And we'll get into that if you want to. That's like a whole nother rabbit hole. But this is a ghost. I, I actually wrote about one in this book, The Spirits of Ouija. There's a story in here about a woman named uh, Teresa and her daughter named Sturmy. And she came to me as an apparition before I even spoke to her on the board. Um, and that was when I was on a trip in Mexico. And, and, and that story in itself, when I first saw her as an apparition, spoke to her. And then she came again on the board when I went back to California. So this is one that spans countries, two countries, and has two languages. So we had to speak a little Spanish and a little English. And so it's a very fascinating story. But yes, I have actually literally seen apparitions. <laughs> yeah, I'm envious, Karen, because, you know, I was the kid in sixth grade. I've told this story enough times on the air where I just fell in love with the study of UFOs, which at the time were commonly referred to as flying saucers. Right. And all these, all these, these decades later, you know, 50 years later, I still have the fascination and I have yet to see anything in the sky that I couldn't readily identify. So when it comes to UFOs or ghosts, all of these sorts of apparitions, I'm fascinated by the accounts, and I don't label people crazy who say they've had an experience, particularly when they explain it in detail, even if there is a mundane explanation. People keep an open mind about these things, 
many of my friends and acquaintances do. And now I see that you have had that kind of experience. And I say I envy you because in principle, I look at the the metaphysical topics we discuss on this show, ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, you name it. I keep an open mind, but I haven't had the experience. And I think there's no substitute for experience. Yeah, but once you have an experience like this, um, it, it's like what I always say is you, you, you can't take it out of me. <laughs> I mean, I would go to my grave to sit to my, with my experiences and never recant them. They're amazing. And I got to tell you this, Gary, I think this is my one step up on this. When I came into the world at a very young age, and I, I joke about having a Ouija board attached to me, at the age of two, I can remember back to the age of two, and I had a friend, uh, imaginary playmate that my parents called it. Uh, I was pretend speaking to somebody, but this this being was not pretend at all. And it, he followed me through life until about the age of five or six when I said, I've got to go to school. I can't talk to you anymore. My mom says I got to be a big kid and I want to be a big kid. And so he didn't interfere, but he came back when I wrote my third book, The Spirit of Alchemy. He came back and I thought he was gone. And what happened in this book, when I was, I was, I would do a lot of dictation, the guides would channel through me or I'd get ideas and I had to quickly write in the middle of the night. So I got in the habit of doing my meditations when I walk and I'd carry a little a, a microphone with me. Um, a little digital recorder. They don't call microphones anymore. <laughs> I just dated myself. So <laughs> I had my digital recorder and I would talk into it. And all of a sudden this poem, this playful poem came out of me. And a lot of times the guides speak to me through, through poetic uh, prose. And so I thought, well, who is this? And then I realized it and the poem kept going and finally said who he was. It was Daki, which is the name of my little uh, imaginary playmate, but he came back and he's very much alive and well. It's just that he stepped aside. Uh, for me so I can live my life and, and maybe not look cuckoo in school. I just look cuckoo when I'm older. But <laughs> I I had this experience as a young kid. And so I and not realizing other people didn't have that, other than my parents tell me I wasn't I was making stuff up. But as I started getting older, I never forgot that presence and our interactions. And I'd start asking my friends about this. And some of them said they had them too, or they had ex weird experiences. And so I found myself kind of talking in occult circles, you know, talking, in, which just means in hidden circles, uh, and not sharing it with everybody, but realizing a lot of people have experiences, but they tend to put them away. And so for me, I never really put it fully away. And then the Ouija board comes into my life in 73 at the age of eight, and next thing you know, um, I'm I'm doing this all over again. So that's kind of my one step up. I think I never really closed it down. And for that reason, I do tend to see a lot of things. And I'm very thankful for it. I'm honored that I have these uh, abilities or I should say these opportunities. <laughs> Thank you for that, Karen. That was a complete answer. I was, you know, you said a lot in that, some of which needs to be unpacked. Uh, <laughs> so I'll just follow up. And then it's Suzanne's turn. How do you account for the children? And you were apparently were one of them. How do you account for the experiences of children who say that they see spirits, ghosts, loved ones? It could be, you know, grandpa was standing by my bed protecting me and, and just, you know, gave me a kiss on the forehead. You hear these stories over the years. And all of a sudden, it becomes no longer appropriate almost like you have to give up believing in Santa and the Easter bunny. You saw somebody, you saw, you saw grandma, grandpa, 
I think in a way that gets socialized and even educated out of us. And the purity of our vision as children, the, the utter open-mindedness to the world and the world unseen that many children have has to be, if I'm not using this word inappropriately, it's almost like it gets punished out of you. I, I think that's a great way of saying it. I mean, my parents told me I need to stop this. They, they were they were actually upset at me <laughs> that I was doing this. I, I laugh now because we talk about it now. And we realize that, you know, it was just silly with, to even say anything to me. But, you know, okay, as a therapist, what I would do if, if I had, well, and I had had some clients talk to me and, and about their children before. But if I had somebody, a child myself, which I don't have kids, but I have nephews and nieces and they have some weird experiences. I always say, hey, tell me about it. Write a story about it. Draw it. Because I'm saying this is a part of human nature, human experience, and it's not something that's just happening in our culture now. This has always happened. And so I like to go back to some of the stories from antiquity, some of the mythologies, and say, you know, other people had experiences and wrote about them. It's okay to write about them and talk about them. But what happens in our culture, and, I, and I, I, I'm going to blame a lot of it on science, which I love science. I'm going to blame a lot of it on religion. I think sometimes what happens is, and superstitions in the culture, but what happens is science says we can't really fully explain that. We can't put our finger on it. We can't quite measure it. We can't quite control it. So therefore it doesn't exist. Now quantum physics is changing that for us and that gets into consciousness. So that's, so there's some shifts there going on, but originally younger, my, my age and I don't know, our ages and then maybe even some younger kids. I'm saying back to my brothers who are quite a bit younger than my, myself. They still weren't allowed just to be freely talking about it because there weren't shows on TV. We didn't even have television when we had black and white when I was little, but they didn't even have have you know tv shows or, or things in this in the, there's no social media it wasn't out there and now since it is there's more an acceptability to, to be able to talk about it more people have a better chance now to come into this world with these experiences and be able to continue to experience them than we did maybe 50 years ago or even then some so it, it's just a matter of uh, science and then also cultural beliefs and religion they're going to say you know you, those are false spirits because it's not, we're not controlling it, or you have to go through us to get the divine. You can't have that connection yourself. Well, the agnostics knew this many years ago, the predecessors to the Christian religion. They understood you could have a direct relation to the divine, to source, to God, whatever, what the names you want to call that. A lot of cultures and traditions did over the years, but we, it's like when science gets involved, it wants to control it. <laughs> it wants to label it, uh, put it in a box. And if it can't, then it doesn't exist or let's just put it under the rug and ignore it. And so a lot of people are marginalized for that reason. Um, it, and, and for example, Ouija board is, has a very much of a, um, negativity about it, connotation, a stigma that's more negative because it is, people think, used to talk to the deceased where you can use it for many other levels of consciousness to communicate with. But let's just say for the deceased, and that's, that's a no-no. That's usually a no-no in religions. And that's usually a no-no with science. Or they're going to say, that doesn't work. It's your idiom motor, or you're making this up or subconscious. And that's just a way to keep us all in our boxes and keep us away from really pushing out beyond and exploring what's really out there. And so I, I find that a lot of times we're asked to stay within our lane and that's what happens. And you're, and you're actually marginalized or made fun of it if you go outside that lane. Did you run into any criticism where the ideas that you propose or even your own experiences when shared, were they discounted 
by the people you and that you had to do work with in academic circles. You didn't get those degrees of yours without having to navigate an academic environment. And generally speaking, they're not too friendly to your cause, if you know what I mean. <laughs> right. Right, you are. So uh, it was just so funny. Okay, so here I was a uh, master's degree, uh, processing psychotherapist, and I right away I was a year and a half in a hospital, and then I went on my own private practice, and I had a lot of uh, psychiatrists and psychologists referring their clients to me for what I my specialty is art psychotherapy. So they would refer to me, and I would work with them, and I would stick within that 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 spectrum of art therapy. But I started getting training in regression work, hypnosis, and past life therapy. I just like to call it regression because you follow it back to wherever it needs to go. And if you go into another life, uh, that's your that's your issue. I'll go there with you. So I was doing all that stuff. But however, and I was using the Ouija board a lot on the side. What was funny is here's all these academic people, also clinicians, professionals, licenses, all this stuff, uh, working, he- heading up some of the boards on in the directors and in these hospitals or wherever I was working. Um, they would say, oh, could we speak to my spirit guide? I'd like to get a message from my loved one. And so I had them in secret. Again, here I was in secrecy, not just as a kid, but here I am as an adult working professional and people were still wanting to explore this stuff with me. So we spoke again in hush, hush circles. We had to keep it quiet because we did have our licenses. And back in the eighties and nineties, um, you, people were beginning to show some of the stuff and talk about it a little bit, but yet it was still so far and few in between. You would have been considered a quack and you could possibly lose your license. Um, but it wasn't like I was trying to do Ouija, Ouija with the therapy. I wasn't doing that at all. And, and, but a lot of people that I knew were starting to explore spirituality and how that fit into psychotherapy. And therefore I would, when I felt comfortable, I'd say, well, you know, here's something I like to do. And they're like, oh my God, that sounds like fun. And then they start doing it with me or, or learning about the board and they were had a different appreciation for it, but we did it in closed circles once again, for that reason. When um, you're talking about channeling or using the Ouija board, do you have a sense when you are receiving information that the information is coming from uh, an individual sentient being? Or do you have a sense that it's more like a group think, like, you know, like an Abraham Hicks or something? It, does it seem to be group or does it seem to be individual to you as you're receiving information? What a beautiful question. I love that because it can be a little bit of both. So in the beginning, I really thought I was speaking to an individual and I did. There was many times when I channeled uh, with the board. Uh, I am going to use the word channeling because that's really what you're doing. It's just your theatrics is being done on the board. It's your permission slip to to access access the unseen dimension. So in the beginning, I was one, one being at a time. And it always was in the beginning uh, for like the first, let's say about uh, six, 15, 16 years was communicating with those who had transitioned into the afterlife because that's what I thought you were supposed to do with it. I didn't realize you could do more than that. Once I realized this could be a great cosmic phone, which is what I call it. I dial up the frequency through my intentions and through my experience of using these tools to be able to reach into other realms. And so when I started doing that, I started speaking with the higher self first outside of just 
transition dead people. They hate to be called dead. So you'll hear me mostly yeah. say transition people because they're still very much with us. Right. Um, right. Yeah, you guys know that. And yes. so, I, I, yeah, I found myself then saying, well, why don't we try to talk to that part of ourself that's our greatest self, but just not just our inner self, but our self that has the bigger picture. So it'd be like the higher self with Carl Jung and and the whole arch- collective archetypal energies. And I thought, well, the higher self, that sounds great. So we started doing that. And I say we had a couple of friends. This is in the early 90s when I was out practicing as a therapist. When we did that, we started making this connection with this part of ourself, which I realized that's a part that's alive. It's not transitioned, but yet it exists in spirit, but exists in my corporeal form. And I started, started playing with that whole idea of consciousness in and out of the body. So consciousness was beyond just the body. And it didn't have to be in a state of the afterlife, it could be existing now and also in other dimensions. And so we got all this really cool information. And once we made that connection, once, and this is what I like to teach now, you guys, I love teaching people how to make that connection to their higher self. That's probably most of the work I'm doing nowadays when I use the board. Once you make that connection, then you start developing connections and relationships to all kinds of beings in other dimensions, multidimensional, interdimensional, ultra-dimensional, all those things, cryptids, things we always love to talk about. Extraterrestrials, they like to be called ultra-terrestrials. But also, then that's when I met the collective group that I now communicate with every single time on the board since 1994, which I call simply the guides, which is a collective group like Abraham. There's many in that group, many souls, but they have never been born in a physical body. They've never been human. They've always been of light source. They say, we are an extension of the divine. We are we are extension of source. We are source. They said the problem is what's what separates us is our rate of frequency. But the problem is this: you forgot who you are. We know who we are, and that's what separates humanity from being a, 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 these multidimensional being and really understanding that and really understanding that we're just really source incarnate. So yes, I, I do speak to a little bit of everything. Now it's mostly this collective group called the guides. Thank you. Thank you. I was really wanting to know about that. Yeah. Let's I have a question I want to ask. We can get back to it, picking up the threads of our conversation. It was Karen A. Dahlman who posted on Facebook last night because I read. And I went there and I said, Hey, Karen saw this. Oh, good. You know, I'm going to share this. There and one of the comments she made was, "This is a no holds barred interview." <laughs> one one person right. responded to your post that he, you were talking about some kind of wrestling match. <laughs> we're far friendlier than that. <laughs> oh yeah, Daniel, he's great. And by the way, he's also a talk show host. Oh, and, is he really? Who uh, is? Yes. <laughs> and I said, I said, I know how you guys are. You ask all the hard questions. Let's do it. You know. <laughs> We are having a good time with Karen Dahlman. We're going to talk uh, less specifically about Ouija or Ouija and more about some derivative questions about things we try to know while we're still in these bodies. Because if we take the metaphysical view of reality, we're always trying to know more and to understand better. That's what this show is about when we're doing it right Karen Dahlman is our honored guest of the hour. We are Manson Mitchell, and we'll be right back after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family 
and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world-famed, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is manceandmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1150KKNW. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell. That's Gordon Lightfoot with Carefree Highway. We're talking with Karen Dahlman from Carefree, Arizona. And she appears carefree. And she does. She looks carefree. You moved there. I think it's an ordinance. You cannot have cares. Karen, if people want to reach out and learn more about you, I know it's important to use your middle initial A, Please let people know where it is that they can locate you online and what it is you have going on and maybe a little bit about your books. Thank you. Yes. Um, Karen A. Dahlman under social media, KarenADahlman.com. And I'll tell you guys why I use the A. There is another Karen Dahlman out there who's a psychiatrist from Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai on the East Coast. So I'm Karen A. Dahlman, a psychotherapist in Arizona now. So that's why I've always gone by my middle initial anyway, but it just makes sense. Uh, we're in similar fields, but do very different things. Yeah. So, I, you know, I have three books out there right now. I'm working on a couple more. Um, you can go to Amazon.com, type of Karen A. Dahlman in the book section. You'll pull up three of my books, The Spirit of Creativity, The Spirits of Ouija, The Spirit of Alchemy. And they're all about this journey of accessing more of your divine self. It's different ways of doing it. Especially the book, The Spirits of Ouija is really about my, at that point, my 40 year odyssey of using the tool and some suggestions for you and how to use it yourself. Where my third book really is about making that connection with your higher self. Uh, it's more Ouija, advanced Ouija, but it's really, you could do it with this work off the board. And I'm teaching you how to do 
well, how to how to refine the the dross in our life, the hardship in our life, and make it into beautiful moments. So it's very alchemical in that sense that you're reinventing yourself by re remembering who you are and making the connection with the divine. So that's what I write about. I I, I want to share. I do I do travel around and I have different uh, talks I do, different workshops I do, and I've got a really cool one coming up, you guys. If anybody out there is interested. And going to Sedona, Arizona, there's a great retreat. It's called the Sedona Ascension Retreat. And we got all these speakers from around the country who are talking about ways to ascend, <laughs> ways to open yourself, as I'm saying here, to the divine. And I will be speaking about making the connection to your higher self. And I will teach you how to do that on the Ouija board. So definitely check that out. If you go to my website, Look under events. You'll see the event. You'll see a flyer there. You can click on it. It'll take you right to the website. And if you type in Karen 10 when, on your checkout, you'll save 10% on your, on the event. But I highly recommend it. It's mid March, uh, the 17th or the 19th. And if you'd rather go to a more of a paranormal, like ghost hunting, uh, program, you can go to Michigan Paracon this year, end of August. That's also listed on my website, but check it out, Michigan Paracon and Sault Ste. Marie. That's a great event, too. So uh, if you join my newsletter, you guys, on, on my website, you'll get everything that tells you where I'll be to speak and teach. And I got to tell you, when I get to teach, it's a, it's a joy because I get to sit down with everybody and help everybody have success with using the Ouija board tool. And I could show you how to shortcuts on how to do that and have great success. So, yeah, come on out. But join me. Join me in social media. I'm there. Uh, Karen A. Dahlman, and I want to spell Dahlman, D-A-H-L-M-A-N. If people are writing this down to look you up, I just want to make sure they know how to spell it. And thank goodness for shortcuts, Karen, because uh, one of the, in fact, it's my favorite tool of divination contained on my iPad in the form of an app is the E. Jing. And ah. what I, if you think about the history of the E. Jing and how I don't want to say difficult, but how time-consuming and laborious it might be for someone in the ancient world to do a reading. You had to be intentional and focused. You didn't have any app on your phone there, <laughs> so you just approach the I Ching in a very organic way. But with today's computer technology and apps everywhere, I downloaded an I Ching app. And I must tell you that the counsel, the good advice I get and predictions that turn out to be contextually verifiable, which always amazes me. I get that now in a matter of moments. Yeah. It might have taken an hour in olden times there. And now I find that it is by far easier and quicker. And yet it doesn't seem to lose any power or validity in my life when I apply the answers to or apply myself to the answers I receive to my questions when I consult the I Ching, I get results that make my life work much better than if I don't understand or worse, ignore what the oracle, what this tool of divination is trying to tell me for my own good. Yeah, I think I think there's something to the I Ching. I, I usually use the I Ching a lot. I, it, you know, came out of Carl, Carl Carl Jung. Really, I should say he didn't, didn't come out of him. He made it really popular in his work. He used it a lot with his clients. So I got into the I Ching myself in graduate school, and I still have my book of changes. I still have my little coins. I've never used the app with it, um, but I would think, you know, statistically how many different roles that, that you can do in the different lineup of the different um, 
lines, I really think there would be something to the app possibly working. And I want to say this even more so than the app working or more so than the even throwing the I Ching coins and lining up with the book of changes, writing each, each one out. It's how this is what I think. This is where I think the magic is. This is where I think all these tools work. Um, especially the ones we're talking about divination. We do was a little different because you get spelling, but let's just talk about <clears throat> the I Ching, uh, the ruins, um, uh, cards, meaning uh, it could be Tarot, it could be the Oracle. It's how you take the information and apply it to yourself. Are you willing to receive that and use it and apply it to yourself? Is there a right or wrong way? People say, yes, there is, or no, there's not. And I, I say there really is no wrong way because as long as you're taking the information you're receiving, and whether it's on the app or throwing the coins on the ground, and reading it that way or throwing bones or, you know, there's a whole thing about throwing bones and uh, stones and sticks and all that stuff. It's how you take it back and apply it to you because it's going to be very personal. Somebody else may read it for you and say, da, 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 da. And you're going to go, well, you're going to hear what you want to hear. And that's the part you're going to apply it to yourself. That's where I think the magic comes. If we can take this information we receive from any of these devices and tools and apply that portion to ourselves and really pay attention and work on it. I mean, it, you can use all these tools for self-growth and transformation, or you can use it for just fun and games and where you don't care if it applies to you, but you're just kind of curious what it shows. <clears throat> There's no right or wrong there, but I do think where the where the wealth of information comes from is when you take it and actually apply whatever you get to you. So I think the apps in that case can work because you're taking what you get and you're seeing how that's re- relevant and you're working with that information. That's that's the beauty of doing this stuff. It's practical. That is what I love about it. You can be a pragmatic person and use various tools of divination. I know some people there who consult their tarot cards yep. quite frequently. It comes, as far as I'm concerned, it comes in allegorical form because we look at images and then we interpret them. But it seems to be routed through our subconscious minds. Don't you agree? Absolutely agree. And Carl Jung, with the late psychiatrist, would talk about the collective unconscious, that there's these universal archetypes that we all can reference and refer- and relate to on some level. And that's why the Tarot, with the rich imagery, and even the Oracle cards, we can look at these images, because images speak to people even way before words mean anything. Because we can show images to people around the world, and they're all going to have a certain reaction. That's going to be very similar. Surprised, happy, sad, scared, whatever. Where words, we can't always read the words. It's the image that comes first. And so Yes, it, it stirs up this deep emotional response to ourselves that's on an archetypal deep level that our that humanity's psyche is a part of. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's beautiful artwork in the making. <laughs> we are part of that artwork. I wanted to <clears throat> ask you a quick question about the Ouija board when you're saying that you can, when you do workshops and things, you train people to use it for their benefit. Do you, is it possible to use the Ouija board by yourself or or is there always a second person required to um, touch the planchette? You can use it by yourself. It's just going to be harder when you use it by yourself because it's, it's a matter of trying to understand what that subtle feeling feels like. And I got to tell everybody out there listening, when that planchette, which is the piece that sits on top of the board that moves around and points to the letters or numbers, it, it, it when it starts to move and i've asked people what this feels like it's it's more of a pulling sensation and when that starts to happen it's like you've got to just 
uh, trust it and go with it because <laughs> it's kind of laborious and it takes a while to feel it. By yourself, you, you might miss that subtle movement. You're going to think, oh, I'm pushing it myself. I'm doing this where you're not. You're not supposed to be pushing it at all. So when you learn what that feeling feels like, it, then it's easier to go translate that same sensation to using it by yourself once you know what it feels like. But you can use it by yourself. And it's so funny you asked this question, Suzanne. It wasn't until year 39 of using this tool that I decided, well, hey, why don't I use it by myself? It took me that long because on the back of the box, especially the board that I got, and, and a lot of the boards pr uh, prior to that, it said on the back of the box, it said suggestions for use. It was never called rules. It was always like suggestions for use. And the suggestions were sit across a person, preferably male, female. And I think they were getting into the polarities and uh, masculine, feminine energies, possibly. They don't say why. Uh, and then use and then put your fingers on the planchette. And they said things like, you know, one person asked the questions, keep your board clean of dust, uh, put it away kind of things. It never really said you could use it by yourself. So I thought I had to use it, number one, with a guy. So I got my youngest brother in the very beginning <laughs> to use. He's like five or six using the board with me. And I'm like eight. <laughs> um, and then we use it throughout. We still use it throughout the years. Um, but and then I realized, well, let me try it with some of my girlfriends. And it still worked. I'm like, okay, well, you don't have to be male, female. You could be whatever and make it work. And that's been my case ever since. But but it never said use it by yourself. And I just didn't. I didn't even think to try that because I always had somebody that wanted to do it with me. And then I decided 39 um, to, to go ahead and, and start using it by myself because people were using it. And I had, I had success right away because I already know what that feels like. I, I still was like, uh, it was slow and it was like, really hard. And then once I got it, it moves. Okay. It's, I can do it. And I've done it for people before. I'm not as good at doing it. When I do it with a partner, I I'm, I'm so, I can so let go and really get into my right brain, leave the left chromatic brain, out, get out of that side, my ego side that wants to control it and get over to the right. That's creative and can fly away. And I have one finger usually it's my ring finger on my left hand on the, on the planchette. And I'm writing with the other I'm going back and forth. I'm just writing the letters down and calling them out where by myself, I have to use both hands. It's, I guess I need that extra energy and I try to follow it and it's still, it's slower and it's, it's usually smaller sentences, like five, six word sentences where by my, with the partner it's verbose and it goes on and on and on for paragraphs, paragraphs, page, 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 and then it's done. And then I have a big message to read. So it's very different when I use it by myself. So um, you can use it by yourself, but I always tell people, try to start with a partner, somebody you can at least try it with to get to know what the feeling feels like. That's why I sit down at these workshops with people. They can learn what the feeling feels like. Then they can go off on their own when they go back home and try it by themselves. A lot of people say they don't have anybody to use it with. I was a preteen, the first and only time that I ever had a, a Ouija board. It was my girlfriend across the street, best friend, and she got one for some holiday, probably Christmas. And so we sat down with it on a on a spring day in the backyard. I was accusing her of moving that thing, and she was accusing me of the same. We were getting upset with each other because the planchette was flying all over the board. And I was sure that she was pushing it and she was sure I was pushing it. And so it was, it was an, a, an odd experience because I couldn't believe it was moving 
you know, on its own or, or with, you know, uh, at some other subconscious level or other kind of transitioned being or guide, that thing was just all over the place. And we only did it once. We got aggravated with each other, but you know, we were very young. How did you rectify that? I mean, what, what was your conclusion you guys came to when it was working, moving so well for you? Oh, that, that she was pushing it. She but was, she said you were pushing it. Yes. So really, we were at loggerheads about who mm-hmm. was moving it. And we did not give credit to anything outside the two of us. I knew she was moving it. She knew I was moving it. Okay, well, we're done with that. So it wasn't anything we went back to a second time. We only did it once. Isn't that funny? Well, it is funny, but but you were also younger. And it's also kind of surprising and shocking. Sometimes you say with people that the energy just works so well, where it just moves right away. And it is, it is kind of crazy. I, I got to tell you, all the years that I do it, I when I work with somebody that I work with, um, that we've worked a few times together, and it starts working really well, it's kind of hard to translate that energy over to somebody brand new. It's almost like you start all over again. So when you do find somebody, if everybody's listening, you sit down with a friend of yours or somebody else that you know, and you already have a connection, which helps. I'm going to tell you that helps. And then it works like that. Don't be afraid. Explore it a little bit. Explore it a little bit. But that's interesting because I've heard people talk to me a little bit about some stories like that where it just was too much. They're like, there's no way this is working. There's just no way. And yet it can. It happens. And when it happens, you guys hold on to that. That's a great partner. If you're going to get with another person and use the Ouija board, do you, um, before you begin, do you ever say either to yourself or out loud, you know, I, I call in loving and light spirits. I mean, is there ever a prayer involved before you use it so that you're not open to anything and everything? Beautiful, Suzanne, you're ready to roll. You're ready to the board. I mean, I say if that's how you start your other sessions, if that's how you do, you know, your tarot cards, your oracle cards, your spiritual work, your meditations, I say bring all that to this Ouija board table and do the same thing. And so, yes, what I've developed over the years, and and when I was young, I didn't know what I was doing. I would just sit there and go, all right, let's see who we want to talk to. In a way, I was putting together attention. I'd say, okay, let's talk to, I, I was talking about a, a whole array of different deceased people. And I said, let's call upon this person. And so we had that. We were kind of doing that as a kid, but it wasn't until I got into college in 86 where I really started refining the process. And so I say, yes, what you want to do is uh, how I dial up my frequencies to communicate with these different in- energies, which is frequency, um, is through my intention, which is be through like a statement an invocation prayer in the beginning. Mine sounds like a prayer, the way I, I start out with what I say. And in that process, I'm asking for, you know, those who have our best interest at heart. I'm also talking about the white light surrounding us. I'm also talking about who who or what I want to communicate with that session. And I'm also saying thank you in advance. And it's also me connecting with my partner, because we usually hold hands when we do this. And not usually, we always do now. We used to just sometimes, but now I hold hands. So it's a balancing of polarities as well that I'm working with. There's a whole series of stuff I do. All this, you guys, if you're listening, takes no more than a couple, two or three minutes. And I talk about it in my books. And then we also do a breathing exercise. And all of it is about getting ourselves grounded, raising ourselves to a certain frequency, stating that frequency, getting us even going up higher to meld with the energies we're going to connect with, with our own energies and with those external energies. And people would say, what about the EDM motor? Okay, my internal energies too. I want it all to resonate and connect. 
And I asked the guides once, I said, you know, everybody talks about doing a prayer or, you know, protection. And I said, what, what, tell me what this is about. What, why, why is this important? They said, well, you know what the important part here is? They go, call it what you want. The important part is, is that you all are meeting on a similar frequency. You all are coming together and you're being tasked if you will, to come together and meet at some point. And the way to do it is through breathing. It could be prayer, invocation, setting a sacred space, having some kind of conversation, a meditation. And they said, all these things work, but find out what works for you and your guests or the people I work with when, when I had used to host a lot of sessions at my house. And that was the whole purpose of that. So we all would get on the same frequency. And really prayer Prayer and meditation are both ways, they're both a little different, but they're both ways to connect with the divine. Whether you're going to hear the divine speak back or you're going to speak directly to the divine, it's making, it's bridging that gap and making that bridge. And so it, it, the ways that we do that, it, it doesn't have to be reinvented, you guys, when you, when you use this tool. Take what you're already using in your other practices, spiritual, um, other dimensional practices, bring them here and use them and use them, employ them. Let me let me ask you a question that I have discussed with a few reincarnationists, particularly those who do past life regression and therapy. I've always been curious about it. It's a bit of a confounding question for me. So any light you can shed, Karen, <laughs> how is it? And have you ever had it communicated to you in a cogent way by a discarnate entity? So that's a narrow category. Have you ever been instructed as to why we need to come back into these bodies once we have returned home to the spirit world, where after all, you have access to Jesus, Buddha, Mother Mary, Mary Magdalene, and all these other cats, you know, the Greek philosophers, all the, throughout the ages and all the accumulative wisdom of the ages. And yet they say, well, if you want to learn, you know, and, and and commit to your soul growth, you need to go back into a body and be a farmer in Nebraska. They're going to go, well, I don't know how that's going to help me achieve enlightenment in this world of the spatial arrangements, 3D, fourth dimension being time. Then you go back to a timeless place where all of these great souls are still there as part of the web of heaven, if you will. It seems to me like that's the real classroom, but then they say, no, it's really not. You need to be having this, this experience in a body and a much slower vibration in order to internalize what you learn. Is there any truth to that? Well, let's talk about slower vibration and also forgetfulness. It's also not remembering really the grandeur of ourselves. And like the guys were saying, what separates us is our rate of frequency, our vibration, and that we never forgot who we were. We come here to remember. We come here to re-member, to put together the pieces. And so it's it's if if we didn't need to be here, we'd be like sages. <laughs> we'd be like, you know, Jesus Christ or or the Buddha or somebody who's who's actually left and that didn't have to come back. But I will say this, having my communication still continue with some people that have transitioned or in the afterlife. They also choose to grow there and they also choose to maybe stay there for many, many years. And, and but the sense of time is gone. It's not like we have it here. So it's really hard to even, I have a hard time comprehending it, but they tell me it's, it's, it's time is non-existence. So when, when one of our loved ones transitions uh, and we they transitioned 40 years ago, we finally transitioned ourselves and meet up. It was like yesterday for them. 
So that's that's a sense of time there. But um, yeah. So what? Okay. When I was doing a lot of past life regression on myself as well, but also with my clients, we would follow the issue, present an issue that came to me for therapy for to where its origins was. Which get this, Gary. Sometimes it was in a future life. Now, how can that be? And it's because quantum physics has kind of explained this. It's kind of like time is circular and it's all happening now. I I, I mean, it blows my mind with talking about it, but they would follow that back or forward or into where this issue started. And therefore that would be the, the, the moment of what we want to work on the residue of that life or energy or presence, whatever it was where you were, where things started happening. And then you, you know, trying to work on it. But the idea is how do you work on something in a dimension where there is no sense of time? Um, there's, it's always free will where, you know, it's free will and you could be here, be there. There's no sense of anything stopping you and slowing you down. Gary, you hit the nail on the head where we come here to third dimension. We're slowed down into this weird, um, I'm trying to think of a, a like a spectrum of of uh, let's just call it polar opposites, duality where things are bad, good, up, down, black, black, white, male, female, and the idea is to really learn to find your balance within the whole thing, and to do that you have to do it when it's slowed down. You can't just do what oop, I'm going to pop out, I'm going to be this now today, I'm going to go explore Jupiter, and tomorrow I'm going to be at Mars when you're in the other dimensions. It's it's so much easier here. You have to be in that situation. You have to really be in it, focus on it, know it, experience it. Now, the, the one piece I didn't hear you say, and I and when I say it, you're gonna go, oh yeah, exactly. But I've learned in the like, let's say after somebody has transitioned and they go back and look at their in-between lives. Um, and this is like through past life therapy, they're they they go through the moment of when they die, they go to their in-between life. At that moment, it's their choice. They're choosing themselves, not not some spirit guide, not not some being, not source. It's saying you go back to Nebraska as a farmer. You're saying you, it's like truth serum. It's like truth serum. You, you're honest with yourself. It's like there, you can't hide. You can't hide in that space anymore. You can hide in this dimension very easily. We can hide every a lot of things. Th- those dimensions you can't. It's like telepathy. Everybody knows you can feel. It's all there. It's very present. Well, you have the opportunity then to say, hmm. Where can I grow the most? And maybe it is as an extraterrestrial uh, on the Pleiadians. You know, a Pleiadian. You can be a Pleiadian on the Pleiades. Maybe it is uh, coming back and being an inner earth being. Maybe it is being an interdimensional being. Maybe it's just coming back as a human being in this form in three dimension. There's the, the possibilities are limitless, but it's really our choice. So, it, so it's hard to say we come back to this hardship here because it is it, life is tough. But what they always tell me, the the guides, and what I learned in these past life recalls is that it's the most cherished place, the most desirable place to be, to grow the greatest because of how things are slowed down and encapsulated within that moment of time where you have to be stuck in it and experience it. You can't just go, well, I'm done. Bye. See you later. You you have to live through it. And so we choose this. Uh, amazingly, we choose it. And the guys always say, um, you, you guys are such powerful beings, so much more than you'd ever know to even make a choice that you've made to be here. You are such powerful beings to make that choice because you really want to know. You really want to put yourself back together and remember who you are. We are going to start with that next time we talk to you, Karen. And it won't take six years either. Right, right, right. Thank (laughs) you so much for making time for us today. Thank you, Karen. Always a pleasure. We'll do this again soon. 
Thank you both so much. It's, it's a great joy to be here with you too. Thank you again. All right. And coming up next, stay tuned to 1150 AM KKNW for some exciting sports-related programming. Until then, have yourselves a great weekend, everyone. Catch you on the radio next week.